Welcome to the Life of Christ Series 3, Term 4. This is Lesson 30. We are going to pick up where we left off in page 37. So we're going back now to Mark chapter 1, and we're reading in verses 23 and 24. This is the incident that we began with, uh, for which I gave you all the background. So let's read in Mark chapter 1, verse 23. We're on page 37, I believe. Now there was a man in their synagogue with, or possessed by, an unclean spirit, or an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you? Or why do you interfere with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There's a lot here, okay? <laughs> These guys really preached a sermon, you know? <laughs> okay. So we see several things here. First, note that one, the, that one spirit, which Luke calls, yep, an unclean demon from Luke 4.33, uses the term we in Mark 1.24 to indicate that there were, in fact, multiple demons possessing this man. And that this, this one was the entry point and therefore the spokesman for them all. Alright, so what we see from this is that a lot of times one thing will get in and then open the door for other things to get in. Are you all with me? Okay. Uh, again, goes back to what Jesus said, you know, the, the last set of the man was worse than the first, you know, it was seven times worse. One of the things that we, we look for is sometimes, you know, the, the, the first thing that started all of this will stay hidden. Because it doesn't want to be recognized, because that's the thing that allowed everything else to come in. So when you're dealing with demons, that's why you know, don't talk to them and don't have conversation with them, because they lie to you all the time. They're, just, they're, they're father of lies, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay? They will never tell you the truth, because they'll never want you to gain an advantage in any way or form. Yeah, there's no truth in them, exactly, alright? So you, you be careful whenever you're dealing with any of those things. Don't listen to what they have to say. We learned that one from the Garden of Eden, right, man? Okay, <laughs> alright? Alright? So, that's why Jesus always says, shut up and get out, basically. He doesn't have a conversation with them, usually, okay, for that reason. Alright, second, note the absolute contrast between the unclean demon, alright, Literally unclean, impure, vicious, and evil spirit, uh, one of the translations says, and the Holy One of God, a term which affirms Jesus' sinlessness and deity. Truths which John MacArthur says many in Israel deny and still deny. All right, awesome. All right, <laughs> okay. Um, I want you to see something here in this second truth. So, first truth that we learned is usually one thing. Will, will cause, you know, will, will sort of allow entry for other things to come in. What's the lesson we learned from that? Be careful what you entertain in your own life. Okay? You always, you know, there's always, a, oh, but it's only this little thing and it's not going to hurt. You don't know what you're letting in. And through that comes compromise and through that comes all sorts of other things attaching itself to you. Are you all here? Alright, so be careful with that. Second, Notice the, the, the contrast here. There's the unclean demon, and then there is the Holy One of God. Okay, remember the demon itself says, Let us alone, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's the problem they're having with him. That's the problem they're not having with the scribes and Pharisees. Get it? <laughs> okay? But they're having this problem with him, because he is holy. And they can't hang around holiness. It is a real problem to them. All right, and there's, there's such a 
contrast between the two. Third, the devil and his demons constantly opposed Jesus' work throughout his ministry, especially at the end when they influenced the religious leaders to murder Jesus. Of course, Jesus always triumphed over their futile efforts, convincingly demonstrating his ultimate victory by his resurrection. So that was his ultimate victory. You know, that's one of the things that I realized as well, that, you know, sin was defeated at the cross. Okay, but the devil was defeated at the resurrection. Alright, because Jesus paid for our sin at the cross. Do you all hear? See, a lot of people think that's where the victory was. No, no, no. The price was paid there. The victory, there was a victory still to come. Because he was going to go to hell and just defeat everything there once and for all. So that his name now would stand over everything hell could ever offer. (laughs) I've said here, be very careful when the devil pays you a compliment. Because even in their seemingly flattering testimony of Jesus, okay, it's seemingly flattering here, okay. They're saying we know who you are, the Holy One of God, alright. In their seemingly flattering testimony of Jesus, he understood that there was every possibility that even their affirmations could be used to fuel charges against him that he was in league with the devil. Alright? And why they, in the next verse, he's going to demand they shut up and get out. See, that's something else. Jesus was smart. Man, he knew their method of operation. Because, can I say this? See, this is what I always keep saying. that The same devil that causes you to sin is the same devil that will then harass you for the rest of your life about the sin. And say, how could you do that? Okay? The same one that leads you into it condemns you. And so, in the same way, Jesus understands this. He's, he's looking at them, and if he said, yes, I am the Holy One of God, then the Pharisee, the, then that same demon will go to the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and say, see, he's in league with the devils. They know him, he took their compliment, they're working together. See what I'm saying? Even a compliment, be careful. Okay, the devil will never do anything for your benefit. It's always to bring you down somewhere. In fact, throughout the Lord's dealing with them, you will always notice hostility, disgust, and dread towards him. All right, that's from the demons to the Lord. All right, and in the case of the demoniac, we see how this demon shrieks at the top of his voice. Of his voice, did you come to destroy us? Demons are well aware of their impending doom. And why the Apostle James says in James 2.19, You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe. And tremble. Okay, they know. They know. They're in big trouble. (laughs) So again, it's obvious that the entire demon world knows that there is a judgment coming to every creature that rebelled against God. And not just God the Father, but God the Son, their Creator. According to Colossians 1.16, that stated as fact, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, alright, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether there be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. So in effect, what we are seeing here is a dialogue taking place between the Creator well here, the Creator and His creation. And it is with this authority that it goes into saying Mark chapter one and verse twenty five, which parallels Luke four thirty five. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Alright, and Luke records identical verse. Alright, so notice Jesus is very succinct. He say, he basically says, Shut up, get out. They're going, Holy One of God. They go, shut up, get out. Amen? No conversations here. Notice the twofold command. First be quiet, second come out. 
Alright? There's a twofold command. There are two things he said for them to do. So, in this way, so <laughs> the first command forbids the demon uh, to say anything further. Alright? He literally silences and muzzles the demon, okay? In this way, it can't twist what it knows about Christ to its advantage in any way or form, nor reveal any more to those there about who he, Jesus, really is. Alright? Which is God manifest in the flesh. See, that's the reason why he says shut up, because he doesn't want them to continue talking. They know who he is. This is not the right place. Not the right setting, especially when somebody's out to get you. <laughs> Look for every reason. You all here? Okay. Once again, the important lesson here is that you don't have conversations with demons, regardless of what they claim to say they know. Because at the end of the day, they will distract and confuse you, and slowly, over time, drain you. So that you become powerless, and therefore are no longer a threat to them. Now, I've written a few things in there. Take note. One of the things that you're going to find, and can I just say this in another way as well? There's a lot of stuff out there. If things are adding to your life, that's good. But if things seemingly are good, but are draining you, be careful. Okay? Because there's a lot of stuff that sometimes look good, but as you start to re- you, you realize that your faith is starting to drain, a lot of things, you know, it may be tickling your ears and it might be really interesting, but it's not adding to you. It's slowly draining you and it's be very slow. You won't even realize it. This is one of the biggest dangers that people that go to Bible college face. When they usually leave Bible college, now you guys won't ever because I'll be doing this forever. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but what happens is when they leave Bible college, the, the intake of the word is lost. And so they slowly start, they start to drain and they don't even realize it. Three years later, four years later, suddenly they're not believing God like they were in college. They think they know more, but they actually, they're not acting on any of it. And even though they've grown in knowledge, they haven't grown in faith. Be careful. Watch out for things like that. You know, I, I watch a lot of different things because I, I, I love scientific things and so on and so forth, you know, as much as uh, theolo- theological things, or biblically related, okay? But I have noticed that those things that are very intellectual, they feed my intellect but not my spirit. And if I do too much of it, after a while, I've, I, I suddenly find myself not having the capacity to believe, to move mountains. I've sort of got to the place where I know a lot of stuff, but there's not a faith there. And I haven't been listening to anything sinful or bad or anything, but it hasn't been feeding my faith. Be careful, watch out for that. It's, it's, it comes in ways that, you know, hopefully from now on you'll keep an eye on it. Yeah? Okay. Return to Mark one twenty-five. The second command that Jesus issued following His first command to be quiet is also a simple one, and that, that, and that is, come out of Him. That's exactly what we are to do as well. If we ever encounter any demons, especially after what Jesus said to us in Luke 10.19, and that is, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Amen? And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, we need to understand that these are things that we grow in. Alright? So be careful. If you're not there yet, don't go take on demons. Alright? You need to have a revelation. This won't work because I told you. (laughs) Okay? Please get this. This will only work when you meditate on it and God speaks it to you. It becomes your revelation. 
Because it won't be Pastor told me. It's not like the, the Jesus that Paul preaches that gets you in trouble. Get it? You need a personal revelation. I'll, I'll lead you to the truth. But it's up to you to take it in and to make it yours. It needs to be your truth, not my truth. Amen? Okay. And then you can come to the place where you will have authority over all the power of the enemy. Amen. And nothing by any means shall hurt you. So returning again back to Mark chapter 1, continuing on to verse 26, it goes to say there, after Jesus said, be quiet and come out of him, and when the unclean spirit, or demon, Luke says, had thrown him in the midst, see the guy won't come out quietly, (laughs) okay? Convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And I like what Luke says, did not hurt him. Do you know why? Because Jesus wouldn't let him. He can make a big ruckus, but remember the healer is there. Amen? Whatever damage he done, he would have healed him anyway. Alright, and this demon knew, okay, you know what? <laughs> we're not happy, we're going. But we're not happy, okay? Hence the screaming and the crying out. Alright, <clears throat> and don't get freaked out when they scream. And you know, their, their screams, can I say this wouldn't have been a normal scream? Can I just say that? Remember there are demons in here. And when they start making noises, man, <sighs> Yeah, it's like from one of those horror movies. Don't let it freak you out. That's why you don't watch that stuff, you know what I mean? (laughs) Okay? Because they never try to program you to freak out. Don't. Don't. Stand there and go, yep, you know what? No. Come out. You're the one with authority. They make a lot of record, but you're the one with the big stick. Amen? Alright. So notice that this demon has to be forced out. It is very unwilling to leave. And when it does, it it doesn't leave quietly. As Arkent Hughes puts it, the evil spirit shook the man violently, violently and came out of him with a shriek. The poor man was wrecked with violent convulsions before the horror-stricken congregation. <laughs> Can you imagine the congregation? No, this is not just him and Jesus and this thing. I mean the whole congregation. is. This is not what happens on Sabbath day normally. Normally we go to sleep. Okay? And the guy finishes his sermon, we get up and go home. Okay? This is like we've never seen before. (laughs) And the demon departed with an inarticulate howling, having been forbidden to say another word. See, that's something else. Interesting, isn't it? Because it couldn't say anything more. Jesus said, shut up. So all he could do now is scream. Hmm? Okay. But now everything changes. And the hopeless... Man, who had once rolled before them in dust and despair, rose to wholeness, joy, and peace. Can you imagine how happy he would have been? Also, the word torn in the King James Version is an incorrect translation, especially since Luke's account of this same event clearly states that the demon did not hurt him. Alright? William Hendrickson writes, Luke, being a physician, must have asked his informants whether the the demoniac received any injuries as a result of the rough treatment to which he had been subject. The answer was no, which Luke then reports. Alright? So we, you know, thank God for Luke, you know, he's a doctor, he needs to know all these things. <laughs> okay? So continuing on into Mark one twenty seven, it goes on to say there, Then they were all amazed, so that they spoke, Luke says this, and questioned among themselves, saying things like, um, Okay, now, can, before I keep reading on, I have taken a composite of what Luke is saying and Mark is saying and put it all in the same verse. So you're getting everything that was there. So this is all the information. Okay? 
All right. So, so let me read this again. Verse 27. Then they were all amazed, so that they spoke and questioned among themselves, saying things like, What is this? What new doctrine is this? What a word is this? Or literally, what kind of power is this? For with authority and power, He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him and come out. Hallelujah. See, <laughs> they had never seen anything like this. So this was far from the, the powerless words that the scribes and Pharisees and everybody else used to talk. They're seeing now that this man doesn't just preach. When he speaks, things happen. Demons have to leave. Amen? He doesn't tolerate that stuff. There is something extremely significant here that we must not miss. When the people exclaim, what is this? What new doctrine is this? They were essentially letting us know that what Jesus taught them that day was like nothing they had ever heard before, nor ever expected to hear in their synagogue on the Sabbath day. Okay, it, was, it took them by surprise. What's more, as William Hendrickson points out, the same authority and power exhibited in Jesus' teaching was shown also in the commands he issued to demons. So that the latter had to yield and were totally unable to resist. Those are the demons. Yeah? Amen? Amen. And even though this account speaks of uh, one demon primarily, because the demon said, using the term we, okay, just I'm sorry, the words are wrong there, okay, just let's walk around it a little bit. Because they used the term we, the people quickly and correctly concluded that Jesus in fact had authority over all the demons. Alright, so because they, that word we was used, they understood there wasn't just one here. And they understood that when Jesus said, shut up and come out, it was to all of them. Amen? Amen. And as marvelous as all this was, they still didn't know what to make of it all. But that didn't stop them from spreading the good news. <laughs> okay? With Mark one twenty eight going on to say, And immediately the report about him, that's in Luke, and his fame spread into every place, Luke says, throughout all the surrounding region around Galilee. Okay? So, he suddenly became famous. I told you, once we get into that place where things like this start happening, people will hear. Well, quietness will go. Okay? <laughs> All right? which, is, which is also, you know, this is, this is God's way of, of growing things. We want whatever happens you know, within the church. The reason we're doing this is because one of the things I want to show you is what God sees as success. Okay? And how divine growth comes. It's not through programs, it's through power. Can I say that again? It is not through programs, it's through power. When the power of God starts manifesting, that will cause people to come. Alright, now we might need programs later to look after all of them, but that's not what we do to bring them. That's what we do to look after them. Are you all, you all with me? Alright, that's why we see in Acts, when it says that you know, the widows were being looked after, and some of them weren't being looked after properly and stuff. Those are programs. Man. After the church started to grow, they had to start looking after people, and things needed to happen. Are you all here? But the church grew because the power was there. Amen. Alright. Hendrickson writes, the happenings in the synagogue on this Sabbath had been so astounding that without any delay, one neighbor was telling another about it. And he, still another, etc. The news could not be confined to Capernaum. In no time at all, as we would say, the news was spreading all over Galilee. Or as Luke puts it, the reports went out into every place in the surrounding region. 
So everybody was hearing about how this Jesus of Nazareth came face to face with this demon-possessed man and that had plagued the synagogue for years and within a few moments had cast out the demon and wonderfully and powerfully set the man free. Amen. What's even more exciting is that as R. Kent Hughes points out, Jesus is still with us. His authority rests with His church. Let us possess it and use it with both humility and energy. Hallelujah. We got through that. Okay. The city at Peter's door. Can we go on? Okay. We're making tracks now. So this brings us to one last event before Jesus finally chooses 12 disciples and goes on a preaching tour through Galilee. It is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Yeah, Pete was married. Okay. So all these people, the Catholics, you know, that say you can't get married. Guess what? Their founding father was married. You can't have a mother-in-law without being married. Not that I know of, anyway. Okay, so... (laughs) So, so it is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, which in turn results in the whole city bringing their sick and possessed to Peter's doorstep to have them healed and delivered by Jesus. Now, this is recorded in all of the Synoptic synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And for for the sake of continuity, we will primarily be looking at Mark's account with Mark chapter 1, verse 29, and verse 30 going on. See, we're just following Mark's gospel at the moment, okay? Because he did everything in chronological order, so we'll just follow it. So, notice what's happened now. We've just finished with this man. He has been delivered. Verse 29. Now as soon as they, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, as we'll see in a moment, had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Remember, his disciples are seeing all this as well. Can you imagine the conversation they had that night? Did you see that? Did you hear the screaming? That freaked me out, man. So again, it says, As soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother, Simon had a wife, okay, mother lay sick with a fever. Luke says that it was actually a high fever. So it wasn't just a normal fever. This probably was something that was going to kill her. You know, today we, we, we know that if it gets past a certain point, you know, you throw him in an ice-filled bathtub or do something to drop the temperature because once a body goes past a certain point, it will kill you. Oh, are you all here? Okay. All right. So it's good that Luke, he's a physician, you know, he looks at all of this. He goes, how, how high was it? Oh, it was really high. Oh, okay, thank you. We'll put that in. All right. And they told him about her at once. So they've just seen something miraculous happen. They go here. They say, oh, mother-in-law is sick. Can we do something about this? Tell Jesus. We just saw something amazing. I'm sure he'll be able to do something over here too. You know how it is. Okay. So we see several things in these verses. First, notice that the house that they entered belonged to both Simon and Andrew. Okay. Second, notice that Simon Peter was a married man, which contradicts celibacy, okay, especially in the Catholic Church. And his mother-in-law was staying at their place, perhaps because she was very ill, or maybe because it was her home too. We're not sure. Okay. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.5, Don't we, says the Apostle Paul, including himself in this question, have the right to bring a Christian wife along with us as the other disciples and the Lord's brothers and Peter do. Interesting, isn't it? Did you know that verse was there? There you go. Okay. See, it's good to come to Bible college. You get all kinds of amazing verses. All right. <laughs> Let's move on. Third, William Hendrickson says that while Matthew and Mark report that the mother of Peter's wife was laid up with fever or lying sick with fever, Luke, 
who was himself a physician, tells us that she was in the grip of a high fever, or suffering from a severe attack of fever. And that's why they informed Jesus at once about the situation. See, others they could have said, oh, we can tell him later on. Alright, obviously it was, it was serious enough that they needed to tell him right now. You need to do something about this now. Okay. And asked him to help her. And it goes in the same uh, verse 31. So he came and stood over her, Luke says. I, I like that. Luke gives all these little extra details. Alright. And touched her. Alright, now Matthew says that. And rebuked the fever, Luke says. So I want you to see different elements coming through here. Matthew thought it was important to say that Jesus did actually touch her. Alright? Luke reports that he rebuked the fever. Alright? Because the physician is saying it's important that whatever is causing the problem be taken away. So he says he rebuked the fever. But it's interesting that Matthew says, you know, you see a personal side of Jesus here. He didn't just come stand over and say, get out in Jesus' name, you know, the fever or whatever. And the mother-in-law jumps up and goes, what, what was that? Okay? <laughs> it wasn't like that. There is something about a touch. There's something personal, there's something gentle, there's something warm about that. Now you all here? Okay, and you need to see Jesus. That's the reason I'm bringing all this out. Because if we are going to be like Him, we need to know what He was like. Amen? So again, let me read all of this. So I want you to get a composite picture of all of this. He came and stood over her and touched her and rebuked the fever. Didn't rebuke her, rebuked the fever. And took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately the fever left her. And it says also immediately she arose and served them. Now, you know, when I first read that, I thought, my goodness. Like she's just woken up from being ill, man. Somebody else serve her. But there was a, a reason why they put that. She wasn't just healed. She came out so healed that she was just normal. You couldn't tell that this person was at the point of death basically a few moments ago. I mean, she just popped up like little daisy and she was like, Whoa, I'm so good. I need to serve someone. <laughs> she just got on with it. Amen? Alright, so... There are several things to note here. Sorry, I might have given it all away now. First, Hendrickson points out, it is very interesting to note how the different evangelists individually describe just what Jesus did. Matthew characteristically states that Jesus touched the woman's hand. What a tender touch it was and how powerful. Mark very graphically, having often listened to Peter, as the latter with unrestrained emotion had described what happened, says, he took her by the hand and lifted her up. Okay, Dr. Luke mentions what must have struck him especially, namely that the position in which Jesus, the great physician, was standing was exactly that of a typical doctor, so he stood over her. Interesting, isn't it? Alright, so that's what a doctor would do. They'd go stand over them, and then they would do whatever they need to do. Okay, and that's the reason why we have all the Gospels, so that we can get different details, perspectives, and insights into what actually went on, and therefore get the clearest picture possible. Now, we're going to have to stop, because I've kind of run out of time. Do you want to go on a little bit more, or do you want to stop there? Let me do one more thing before we get to the second thing. How about that? In relation to Matthew's account, that clearly states that Jesus actually touched her. Robert H. Mount says, to touch a person with a fever was prohibited by Jewish law. But in, in Jesus, the kingdom of God was actively invading the realm of Satan's control. Amen? Amen. That's a good place to stop. Okay, we'll leave it there. We'll come back and we'll go on with the second thing to note. Okay. <laughs> Amen. 
So have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father, for...